The Guardian. Spring has officially sprung. The daffodils are out. The tulips. And the hyacinths. And I can't think of any more. Oh wait, bluebells. <laughs> it's a season of flowering. Winter is behind us and the days are getting longer. And what better thing to do than to use these newfound daylight hours than a bit of spring cleaning. Gray and I were having lunch a few weeks back and it came up in conversation that both of us have decided not to buy any new clothes in 2019. For me, the main reason is environmental. I love clothes, but I hadn't really thought about the damage my passion could cause until I visited the V&A exhibition Fashion from Nature and listened to the podcast series Articles of Interest. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing for exactly the same reasons, the environment. I watched the Marie Kondo series on Netflix and it made me realise that I have so much stuff and I really don't need any more. So taking a break from shopping seemed, to us at least, a good way to step away from the typical consumer cycle of buying, regretting, and then dumping. Each year, we bin £140 million worth of clothing. And that clothing goes straight to landfill. Fashion is one of the worst industries for environmental impact. And the reason for that is because it creates a huge amount of waste. So in the UK, for example, we are getting through just over 1 million tonnes of clothing each year. And around about a third of that ends up in landfill sites. This week, Chips With Everything is teaming up once again with The Guardian's Science Weekly podcast to unpick the true cost of the rise of fast fashion and to explore whether or not technology can help to fix the problems the fashion industry has created. So the idea that we begin to have technology that actually shows us and maps us what exactly is happening, um, whether it's in a, in, a, in a sort of judgmental way or not, you know, but at least it gives us an opportunity, as I said, to scrutinise and be vigilant. I'm Greg Jackson. And I'm Jordan Erica Weber. And this is Science With Everything. Hello. Hello there. Hi, Tim. How are you? Good. Um, so my name's Greya, just in case you're wondering how to pronounce it. <laughs> and, Hi. Um, I called Tim Cooper for a chat about the impacts of fast fashion on our planet. Tim's a professor of sustainable design and consumption at Nottingham Trent University. And I'm head of the clothing sustainability research group here. We particularly specialise in issues to do with clothing longevity. In other words, the throwaway culture in the garment sector. This is something known as fast fashion, isn't it? What is fast fashion? Fast fashion has emerged in recent years as a way of putting products in the market in such a way that consumers have access to new garments virtually at any time. So whereas in the past, we used to have two seasons of fashion, you really wouldn't see too much change when you went into your retailer, apart from in the spring and in the autumn, Burning, we move towards four seasons. The fast fashion is this idea that we should have change 
all the time. So whenever you go into a shop, there'll be new items and pretty much 52 weeks in a year. Every week, you'll see new products appearing in the shops. And that has real implications, major implications for the design and manufacturing process of the garments uh, and some would argue for quality and durability. The other thing about fast fashion is the cost. These clothes are cheap, cheap, cheap. I've seen dresses for under a fiver before. Yeah, I've definitely been guilty of buying clothes that cheap, especially as a teenager at college with very little money. But I have a sneaky feeling that you're about to tell me that £5 isn't a true reflection of its overall cost. Slightly read my mind. A recent government report showed exactly that. It concluded that we benefit from cheap clothes at considerable cost to the environment and at a considerable cost to those working in textile factories. Fashion is one of the worst industries for environmental impact. And the reason for that is because it creates a huge amount of waste. So in the UK, for example, we are getting through just over 1 million tonnes of clothing each year. And around about a third of that ends up in landfill sites. We tend to think, because most people these days will from time to time take unwanted clothes to a charity shop, we think, oh, that's okay. Someone else will wear it once I've finished with it. But the reality is that the vast majority of those goods that we pass on to charity shops and the like actually can't be sold in this country. There's not the demand for second-hand clothing. So many of them are exported, and even then they often don't get used and just end up in landfill sites in other countries. But leaving that aside, still a vast number of goods are just thrown away in bins and a third of a million tonnes end up in UK landfill. And that's unsustainable in the long term because those landfill sites are filling up fast. But it's not just that we bin our clothes. A huge environmental price tag of fast fashion is the process of making the clothes themselves. A not-so-fun fact for you. Did you know that the textiles industry accounts for 10% of the world's carbon emissions? No. And then there's also what these fabrics are made of. It's a real challenge to navigate. Take polyester. It's the most popular fibre used in fashion. But when it goes into the washing machine, microfibres break off and it ends up in our ocean. And algae can eat these bits of plastic and then fish eat the algae and then we eat the fish. I mean, I don't. I also gave up fish this year. But there are cultures for whom fish forms a central part of their diet. And it doesn't seem fair that they're swallowing down microfibers because of our obsession with fashion. So are natural fibers like cotton the way to go? Surprisingly, no. Tim says that some cottons can use lots of water and pesticides. And that's what makes this a bit of a minefield for people who want to make better choices. It's a real challenge for people who are trying to do the right thing to know what kind of garments to buy because of the different fibres that are involved and each of them has a different problem. So on the one hand, we've got synthetic garments which are oil-based. So people say, well, we don't want to consume more fossil fuels, therefore we shouldn't be buying, for example, polyester. On the other hand, we've got cotton garments which are historically seen as natural, but increasingly we've become aware of the water and pesticides use involved in cotton production. So it's uh, an area which needs a lot more research and a lot more better information to guide both producers and consumers to do the right thing. Our knowledge base is surprisingly thin in, in, in these areas. So 
there were two dimensions to this. One, one is that we need to produce clothes that are more sustainable in their quality. But the other is certainly until that happens, we just need to consume fewer items. How does Britain compare to the rest of Europe when it comes to fast fashion? Are we doing well or is the situation particularly bad here? The evidence is that Britain is worse than other countries in terms of its clothing purchased per head. Uh, we're at or near uh, the top of the table for consumption across Europe. And are we buying more and more? Is that situation getting better or, or worse? Uh, the situation in, re- in the last uh, two years uh, has got worse, our clothing consumption. In fact, between 2012 and 2016, the charity RAP estimated that there was a 10% increase in the amount of clothing purchased here in the UK. But why? Oh, it's, there are a myriad of factors that range from having more disposable income to being time poor and then not really having much time to fix our clothes. And many of us wouldn't even know how to go about mending our clothes, which is one reason I'm also taking sewing classes this year. Top marks for you, Jordan. <laughs> it is a bit of a lost art, but because clothes are cheap, we don't bother to fix them. There's just not that impetus there. But Tim also points to some research that suggests humans just like a bit of a change. There was a, a sociologist called Colin Campbell who wrote a, uh, an influential article a few years ago called The Desire for the New, The Desire for the New. And he looked at this and he, and he talked in terms of our desire for change, the fact that we just like things that are different from time to time, talked about our desire for the pristine, you know, things that are, are fresh and clean and so on. Um, and I think it's a combination of factors that, that lead us to do what we're doing, but it's nothing that is inevitable. We know we, we do, in a sense, shape our culture by not least things like social media. We'll need to communicate a lot more through the media to make people aware that what we're doing is unsustainable and that everyone, producers and consumers alike, has a role to play uh, in changing this fast fashion sector. I wonder whether companies and advertising also have a role to play here. The fact that there's this constant newness to everything and that it sort of says that what you've got now isn't fashionable in some way and that you, you need something else. Certainly advertisers have a role to play. I think the whole communication sector, marketing people are vital in all this. So I, I like to see more of the manufacturers and retailers and brands um, give a more rounded picture of what they're actually offering. And they can do this in a number of ways. One, whenever they advertise, they should say what they're going to be doing themselves as companies in terms of the environmental impact of their businesses. Now, there's this, this quite a, a range of approaches. So we have some retailers that take sustainability quite seriously. They're ahead of the curve. They're looking themselves uh, at opportunities to collect, use clothes, and either put it back in the market uh, as second anchors, or at least to ensure that they're collected and, and then disposed of in a responsible way. All the signs are at the moment that the industry as a whole Bearing in mind we've known about these problems for many years, um, it's not taking uh, the concerns seriously enough. That's ultimately something that's got to change. After the break, we'll chat to one of the people behind the organisation Fashion Revolution. Luckily for me and Greya, she may have a technological solution for how we can better look after the clothes we already have in our wardrobe. There are more and more apps that are looking at using technology to be able to help, not just for the, you know, the pollution and the diversity. We'll be back in a minute. 
It's time to focus. I think ultimately that ideology is fading, but it will have a sting in the tail, and we see that sometimes with these flare-ups and violence. Today in Focus is the new daily podcast from The Guardian. Join me, Anushka Astana, for the best stories from our journalists around the world. Subscribe now to Today in Focus from The Guardian. Welcome back to Science With Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. And I'm Greer Jackson. Before the break, we talked to Tim Cooper, who explained further the phenomenon of fast fashion, which focuses on getting huge quantities of clothes onto the shop floors quickly and cheaply, to the detriment of both the environment and the people who make them. There has been another horrific incident at a garment factory in Bangladesh. An eight-story building collapsed today, killing at least 145 people and injuring hundreds of others. On the 24th of April 2013, more than a thousand people were killed when the eight-story Rana Plaza building collapsed in the capital city of Bangladesh. The full list of companies who were sourcing clothes from the building remains unclear, but had previously included Primark, Matalan and others. Soon, the world found out how little these workers were making and the conditions they were working in. And so started the fashion revolution. So fashion revolution is now the biggest fashion advocacy movement in the world. So, Ursula de Castro is one of the co-founders of Fashion Revolution and is also the creative director there. Yeah, so when you told me about her, I looked her up and of course she had a Twitter page. And I noticed she called herself the Queen of Upcycling, which I think is pretty cool. Okay, I am the Queen of Upcycling, also on Instagram. In fact, on several other places I come (laughs) up as the Queen of Upcycling. Upcycling is a technique, a fashion technique, which aims at reusing creatively any excess from post-consumer to pre-consumer waste. What's the difference then between upcycling and recycling? Well, recycling tends to be fibre to fibre and it does imply either a chemical or a mechanical process whereby existing leftovers, um, offcuts, remnants and so on and so forth are pulped and shredded, often downcycled to make other components such as mattress fillings or car insulation. There's a lot of investment in recycling at the moment from fibre to fibre, but not very successfully. We are presently only recycling 1%, for instance, of our leftover garments from fibre to fibre. So it doesn't really have so much of a chemical or mechanical footprint, but at the same time, it's harder, I guess, for the industry to imagine it as an upscaled solution. Okay, that makes sense. So aside from being the queen of upcycling, she helps run Fashion Revolution. Yeah, and actually next week they're celebrating Fashion Revolution Week. Each year they choose a theme. This year they've gone with hashtag who made my clothes. We are looking at what they're doing and we want to know and we want to understand who are the people that make our clothes and in what conditions. But that's by no means our only ask. We also talk very much about clothing longevity. We have another hashtag which is loved clothes last. And we really talk about the opportunity that we have every morning to look at our wardrobe as being an integral part of this fashion supply chain and therefore all the various solutions that us as 
as consumers, as citizens, as people, students, teachers, and so on, you know, that we can effect by being vigilant, curious, and wanting to be a part of the solution. You've mentioned a few hashtags there. How important is social media to this whole revolution? Well, I mean, I have to say embarrassingly vital. I mean, <laughs> I can't think of anything more acutely shaming or Monty Pythonish than a whole bunch of adults sitting down at the table working out the right hashtag. I mean, it really, <laughs> it's quite funny, but it is serious. You know, we are born in 2013. This is the age of media, social media and this kind of communication. And we mastered it. Um, you know, it catalyzed the movement. It it made, you know, a simple question difficult to answer, the crux of this complicated supply chain and how we are so disconnected to it. I love the Monty Python reference. I have to admit, I've never actually watched it, but maybe I should. I mean, people are going to hate me for saying this, but we're both probably a bit young. Still, it is pervasive enough in our culture that I get what she means. Okay, let me check if I've understood Ursula right. Social media has helped with spreading of their message, but did she mention any other technological approaches that either designers or consumers are embracing to combat some of the issues that Tim Cooper talked about earlier? There are more and more apps that are looking at using technology to be able to help. There are a whole host of transparency apps, for instance, right now. So can you give me an example of some of these apps then? Well, I guess the, the new kid on the block when it comes to transparency is the good or new app, which has been heavily supported by the likes of Emma Watson. But there are, there are other apps as well, which are not necessarily focusing on transparency and what brands are doing, but more asking questions to ourselves. There is one that I'm really looking forward to. It's not out yet, but it will be all on how can we take better care of our own wardrobes and of the clothes that we already own. I mean, you know, the truth is that, you know, the clothes that we already own are the most sustainable clothes. And so there will be an app all on creating, you know, the best opportunities to mend them, to keep them for long, to really encourage longevity. So I'm, I'm super looking forward to that. These are all the apps that encourage a different behavior and encourage us to take responsibility for the clothes once we've bought them. I mean, I guess you can look at the phenomenon of Depop. Depop. I've heard of them, but only because they wrote to me after GDPR to ask me if they could keep my details. And I said no, because I didn't remember giving them my details. Who are they? Depop is an app that lets you buy and sell secondhand clothes. But it's also like a small community where you can follow people who have a similar sense of style. I've actually checked it out myself recently because my 2019 resolution doesn't rule out buying secondhand. And it's great. I found someone whose wardrobe really reflects my own tastes. Depop has started, has opened a whole new world and we're looking at really young um, <laughs> citizens actually buying clothes and then selling them. But now they're going one step up. They're buying, they're customising and then they're selling because they're seeing the added value somehow in their own signature, you know, as if something mended is as important as something tattooed. You know, it has the same the same power. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm super, you know, really, really love that. 
Ursula is also waiting for an app that's in production at the minute, but when available, will allow those who download it to calculate their fashion footprint. As in a carbon footprint, but for fashion? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because one of the things Tim talked about is that it's really hard to find out where your clothes come from and whether they were produced sustainably or not. So this could be really great. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work yet, but it's being developed by an Italian company called Lablaco, which have already created an app where you can sell your old clothes and earn what they call Lablacoin, and then use those to get discounts from well-known fashion brands, which I guess encourages you to buy more new clothes, which isn't great. Yeah, I see what you mean. Can I just go back to something you said before, though? Lablacoin. So you don't earn money in the traditional sense but why would you use a cryptocurrency yeah so anyone who listens to chips knows that i am not the biggest fan of cryptocurrency or blockchain but ursula explained why the latest fashion apps are choosing to head in this direction i mean you know transparency doesn't necessarily lead to best practice but it leads somewhere. Mm. And you can then make that decision. My understanding is that this will be exactly the same with the blockchain. You know, people will be inputting information. So at least we will have that information. It is in human nature to kind of lie and gloss over things. So it is possible that a lot of the information that would be in a, a blockchain system, we wouldn't, ne- wouldn't necessarily be able to take it at face value. We would have to pick up that phone and really check that that factory is over there or that they're doing the things that they're claiming that they're doing. But we'll have something. Mm. We will have a map. Nerdy citizens or activist citizens such as myself can actually go and double check. So that's the great change. And this is the whole point. Systems that give visibility encourage scrutiny. Do you think we'll get to a point where we won't need fashion revolution to exist anymore? So where the revolution has happened and the industry is cured? We have enough proof to know that it's not going to happen anytime soon. I mean, you know, we know that the Rana Plaza happened, you know, six years ago. And yet we know that supply chain workers are nowhere near being paid a living wage. We know that the impact of the fashion industry on our environment is scandalous. And so fashion revolution is still needed. We are all enamored with fashion. It plays a huge part in our daily lives. It plays a huge part in shaping our culture. Let it be the fashion that shapes the culture that will get rid of climate change and global warming. I think one of the reasons that fashion is becoming more and more of a problem is because of technology and social media in particular. So I know that I am reluctant to post multiple Instagram photos with the same outfit because I feel like people will think I don't have anything to wear or maybe it'll just look boring. And we kind of, you know, because we're posting photos of ourselves online all the time, we want to look different in all of them. And there's more of a focus on image and what we look like. And that encourages us to buy more and more clothes. I think that's a really interesting point, because one thing that we haven't really touched on is the role of influencers and Mm. how important they could be in all of this, in, in helping us raise awareness of the fact that fast fashion is really bad for the environment and and for the people who make these clothes. The other thing I thought was really interesting that we could learn from 
other countries like Sweden. This is something that this big report we talked about earlier in the programme came out with. And that was that if we removed or reduced VAT on repair services, it would mean that it would be so much easier and cheaper to get Mm. our clothes fixed. Because at the moment, if you go down to your local dry cleaners and get something fixed, it can be like 30 or 40 pounds. And so why would you just, you can sort of understand the thought process. Why wouldn't I just buy something new? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, I've got a dress that I need dry cleaned and it's just so expensive to go and get it done professionally that I'm like oh maybe I'll just leave it and buy a new one also we're roughly the same size we could just swap clothes (laughs) (laughs) I have to admit every time you come in you are meticulously dressed whereas I'm always in the jeans and trainers and a t-shirt combo thank you I'm so glad that the podcast listeners who cannot see me will know that I always look great I A huge thank you to both of our guests for this episode, Professor Tim Cooper and Ursula de Castro. There'll be links to the Fashion Revolution website and the recent government report on clothing consumption and sustainability in the episode description on the Guardian website. But for now, with this sunny day in London hopefully hinting at warmer weather ahead, I'm off to plan how to fit last year's summer dresses into my wardrobe for this year. And I'm off to try and patch together an outfit for a wedding I'm going to this weekend. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. And I'm Greer Jackson. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.